a crazy thing happens when you get divorced. You become the best father you've ever been because you don't have a choice. Now you can't push it on to the wife. You can't depend on the wife to clean up all the messes or whatever the case is, right? You can't push that stuff on her anymore. You are it 50% of the time. Get ready to tune in to stories of average men striving for greatness to become the leaders that are needed in their homes, in their career, and their communities. This is the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast. Obviously, I'm here with Scott, like always. And I am joined today with my friend, Doug Mitchell. Doug and I met, oh, I don't know how long ago, but we've met in a mastermind and now we're in a couple masterminds together. And it's just been a real encouraging and amazing opportunity to get to know him. And when I was chatting with him, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, we decided that getting on this podcast was going to be pretty important. He has a story to tell. One thing extremely interesting about you, Doug, is the fact that you uh, borrowed some money from the mob. So I want to start there. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the show, man. I appreciate you having me, brother. It's an an honor to be on your podcast and uh, I'm excited to get into it because yeah, I got some stories for sure. And one of them was when I was first starting out, you know, I I started out and I owner financed a door-to-door sales company, right? And so the way these things work when you have a sales org is you know, you may go out, earn commissions, you and your team, but you don't always get the pay for those commissions. And in our case, we, our client was AT&T. So we didn't get it till six weeks after we earned the actual commission, which is just, you know, as <laughs> if you know, cash that's flow, brutal. that's not fun. It's like running a construction company or something, you know, and you're dealing with uh, entry-level salespeople, door-to-door commission only. So they need their cash fast. They need to know the company's legit. And so about six weeks in, (laughs) I couldn't make payroll, you know? And so I went to my partner at the time. He was a minority partner. He owned and financed the company to me, gave me the opportunity that I'm still capitalizing on today. And uh, he's like, Hey, I don't, I don't got it. You know, I don't got the money you need for payroll. You're going to have to figure it out. And I'm like, okay, well, I've taken a couple of loans in the past. You know, I don't have great credit. I'm overutilized. So I can't just go to the bank and, get a loan in one day and, and nobody's given loans for small businesses, especially not ones that are independent owner operated type deals, you know, that don't have one year of tax rolls. So, you know, I, I'm talking to my manager about this and I was very open about it. And I'm like, I, I got to find this money. I'm going to make sure we pay our guys on time. You know, I don't want to get a reputation of being a door to door fly by night company. And he's like, Oh, well, I know this guy. He does, he does loans out of his house. He's an old guy, got a bunch of money, doesn't spend it. And he's just basically doing loans out of his house. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like I need 5K. And so uh, I went over the guys. It's an older guy. He kept everything on pen and paper, you know, old school, had me sign next to it. So I took the loan. And when I went to pay it, you know, I had paid it like a day late. And it was just, I couldn't get to him. You know what I'm saying? Because I had to pay it in cash. (laughs) That should have been my first sign. (laughs) (laughs) And so I had to pay in gas. So I was a day late and he was like, Hey, I don't know how to tell you this, but don't be late again. You know what I mean? I don't know if you know, but this isn't my money. This is the, the mob's money basically. And he had a name for it. And when I went and looked up that name later through criminal records and court cases and stuff, I realized, Oh, that's slang for the mob essentially. <laughs> so I realized I borrowed money from the mob. And a day late. And which- a day late. Like I still have my kneecaps. Thank God. 
Yeah, that's a scary. That's a scary realization in the aftermath. Like, wait a minute, this could have gone really bad. Exactly. Was the interest like ridiculous on that? Oh yeah, it was. Uh, I want to say it was thirty percent for two weeks. It's like one of those uh, cash stores, right? It's a uh-huh. not legitimate. I don't know yeah. how legitimate those are, but hey, I made payroll. It's <laughs> all that matters. And I kept the business going. And there's been so many other times where it's like. AT&T makes a clerical error and it costs me 20 grand and that's my oh. margin. And now I've got to come up with rent or expenses or whatever the case is. And so I've got to go, you know, basically sell myself on the street, you know, or sell points in my business to make it happen. You know, And I just, I, I had so many of those situations because I got into the game so early and my company started making millions of dollars before it should have, before I had the experience, before I knew what the heck I was doing. And it was just sheer will at that point. So I got a lot of stories like that. Yeah, you have a lot of stories in business, which is quite relevant, actually. A mm-hmm. lot of the listeners are interested in businesses or, or have their small businesses. And your your specialty, I mean, you built big sales teams, mm-hmm. if I remember correct. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna dive a little bit more into like the sales area because I, I'm a firm believer, I'm sure you are, that everything's sales, man. Like mm-hmm. even if you're working for someone else, everything is sales. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You and I were chatting. I, I just want to get right to the meat. Like mm-hmm. let, let's, let's do it. There's the, a lot to unpack. The mob's not a problem. Uh yeah. but but <laughs> I you know, it's so funny. I have some crazy stories and I just don't tell them enough. So I got, I got to, I got to dig those up and start telling yeah. them. You got to find a way to weave them into your conversations and, and, and podcast guest episodes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, maybe not. I don't want to steal the thunder, but we, we were talking about kind of like our, our personal values and, mm-hmm. and our personal experiences and talking about the brotherhood and, yeah. and I kind of caught a little, a little glimpse of your past, you started to kind of bring it up mm-hmm. and I told you not to tell me the story. Yeah. And so it's like, but since then it, I've, I've been a little frustrated cause I'm like, well, I should have let him tell me, but <laughs> it, you have this, this story of, I would call it kind of redemption in your marriage. Absolutely. And, and first of all, how long you been married? Well, it depends on how you do the math. So uh, let's just say 10 years. So we don't ruin the story. Right. <laughs> right. 10 years. Okay. I've been married 10 years now. And you have kids? Three kids. What are the ages of those? Nine, Eight. 11, and 12. Okay. Pretty close together. Yeah, absolutely. We knocked You're busy them out. for a few years. We knocked them out and then I snipped it up <laughs> and I was done. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't stop at a man-to-man defense. We, my, my wife and I are like, we're not playing zone. We're doing man-to-man. The nice thing about zone is they, when they get older, they start taking care of each other. You know, so my oldest, my daughter, she's a responsible one. And so, you know, in say Texas, you can babysit at 12 years old. So we're able to leave them at home and we don't have to pay for daycare or anything like that. They've got their summer activities and stuff. We'll have to drop them off and pick them up. But for the most part, like we can go to work and, and, you know, we got cameras and all that security system. And, you know, they, uh, my oldest has a phone, so they're in communication. And, and that's the nice thing about it is they take care of each other for sure. I tell everybody that like, Hey, like, yeah, having kids is rough, but then when you hit a certain age, it's like a built-in system for you. And if you've done things right, you're, you're pretty taken care of. I mean, my wife and I started to go like on overnight dates when our oldest turned, I don't know, 
maybe 14. It was okay. Like, All right. Yeah. We haven't gotten good. there yet. That sounds great yeah. though. <laughs> it might've been later than that. Maybe it was driving, but still yeah. it, was, it seemed like it was like this re- new freedom mm-hmm. and it's 100%. pretty awesome. Well, yeah. and, and I'm at the point now and obviously I'm very, very good at delegating or I couldn't run the businesses that I did, but I'm at the point now where, you know, I'm mainly the one that cooks. My wife washes dishes, right? And then everything else in the household is taken care of by our kids. We've broken it all up into daily tasks and then uh, weekly deep cleans. So we literally, that's all, that's all we do. I cook, she does the dishes, and everything else is taken care of by the kids. Let's go down that road for a second. Sure. Because that's how my household was run when I woke up, when mm-hmm. I grew up. Woke mm-hmm. up. When I grew up, there was like a file. There was a, a little file holder, uh-huh. and there was no cards. It was like a note card holder. Mm-hmm. And we had my name and my sister's name. And like for the, there was a note card or two for each day of the week. Yeah. And it told you exactly what you had to do. And we were running the, that same system when I grew up. Mm-hmm. Now with my boys, it was kind of like just Saturdays. All right, grab the, grab the vacuum. Yeah, let's it get wasn't nearly as out. ordered. Yeah. What's that? So just get together and knock it out. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you, how, what, what age did you start them? I think this is a really good conversation. Mm -hmm. What age did you start them? And then how did you build in a system so that they aren't, I'm sure you've had the kicking and screaming. I don't want to do this times, but what, you know, what, what are some of the foundations that you put together to make this kind of a, a thing um, that you just operate in your home? Well, you know, the first thing I would say is systems are important. Like you, you just said, like your mom had that system for you guys. And so my wife is uh, a 10 year, you know, she taught 10 years for public school and now she has her own tutoring business. So you can imagine how organized she is with the kids' lesson plans and the curriculums and everything. And so she put together a very colorful, very pretty chore list, right? And on the front side of the chore list, it's got the daily tasks and a, and a few SOPs on how to complete them, <laughs> you know, and I equate everything to business, Right. And then on the back side, she's got the weekly task and then the SOPs on how to complete those. And uh, she puts them in a laminate folder, hangs them in our extra fridge in the pantry. And so whenever the kids, like, we always ask them, did you check your list? Did you check your list? And this is a daily thing. This is a struggle. It's gotten easier and easier over the years, right? They've gotten better and better at this stuff. And where we started was young, probably seven or eight years old to where, all right, this is your room. This is your responsibility. If it's dirty in here, it's because of you. If it's clean in here, it's because of you. Like you own this room. And then right around 10 years old is where we started assigning chores, community chores that benefited everybody in the household, right? And so one of the things we do is make sure that everybody has a chore that affects everybody else. So it creates this built-in accountability instead of us being the Nazis running around trying to get them to do that stuff, right? And so that's that's a few of the things we do to 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 execute on that. And everything the way I'm saying everything sounds very tactical, very business, you know, but my wife like she's amazing at this. Obviously she's a a queen communicator, especially with kids, so she makes it sound fun, she makes it sound interesting and you know, of course I equate it all to the systems and processes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's uh it's hard not to once you've been doing business for a while. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, well, I got to have SOPs for everything. Yeah. The only way we're going to get repeated work done over and over again the same way is yeah. to have standard operating procedures. It's just the way it is. Your wife, uh, do you guys homeschool? No. Um, so she she was in public school. So the kids went wherever she went. She was able to pick their teachers and obviously check in on the curriculum and stuff like that. So she was very involved in that. 
And then when she started her tutoring service, which is a, a brick and mortar tutoring service, they've got about, I want to say 15 to 20 students. Now they're all homeschooled. So she's bridging the gap between homeschooling and like, you know, someone that has their master's in education, which is her, right? So she's helping them make sure that they're coming along, right? You know, the parents are doing the best they can, but they're, it happens, you know, there's gaps and oh, yeah. she fills in the gaps and that's her business. She does that brick and mortar and virtual. And so once she started the, the homeschooling business, she asked the kids, you know, so my daughter was same age as they are now, 12, 11 and nine. And none of them wanted to homeschool <laughs> because they've got their friends in school already. They've got their sports activities starting. Yeah, yeah. It's very hard to reverse that. You have to start young. 100%. So I was in public, I I have a master's degree in education. I taught for 13 years. Mm -hmm. And so that was the same way I, like, I know the teachers, I know the curriculum. And then to the point where we're like, ooh, this is getting weird, which it's even in Texas, it's getting weird. And, and uh, my boy, my, my youngest, he's like, yeah, no. He's like, if we move out of the state, I'll do homeschool. I have no desire to go to school. It's a, he's like, it is a complete waste of my time. Mm-hmm. I, I, he says, I can get everything done in an hour. I'm yeah. sitting there for six and a half hours just twiddling my thumbs. It's ridiculous. But yeah. but it, once they're ingrained in that, and that's where their friend set is, yeah. it's, it's so hard to pull them out. Well, and even, even in elementary, like all my kids were a big part of drama, right? So they, they were, and, and, and this school has an amazing drama program. And it, it, it's a Title I school that my wife taught at. So they, they get a lot of funding for programs like this. And so they put together Willy Wonka, the Chocolate Factory, Frozen, Moana, um, and just they put on amazing plays. And my kids were huge parts of all that. So that was that's yeah. some of those things that are very hard to replace. Yeah, my both of my boys are in marching band. You're in, you're in Texas. You understand mm-hmm. marching oh, band yeah. is a big deal. We travel down to San Antonio several times a year for yeah. the state and national competitions. Let's and, go. <laughs> and that's the thing is like those are my friends. That's my circle. That's what yeah. I do. And you know, at that age, it's hard to have your your foundation of who you are in like. I'm this person, but no, I'm a I'm a band kid. <laughs> yeah. I'm a marching band kid. Yeah. Right? It's different. So, well, and there's so much like development that happens that we can't inspire and we can't challenge with. And that's the, uh, oh, well, I had a best friend and now they're not my best friend anymore because, you know, they like this boy and I like that boy. And and this is stuff that like you can't replace. It's weird. You know what I mean? But you know that they're growing from it. You know, when they, they resolve those situations, when they have those conversations with their friends and it's just that kind of development that happens outside of the family, you know? And, you know, I'm not making a case for one or the other. I, I believe in homeschooling. Me neither. 100%, yeah. you know what I'm yeah. saying? Um, but I also see the benefits of the social side of uh, public education. And, and yeah, them seeing that, hey, you know, just because I, I have a job or I'm part of some, some system doesn't mean the system has to be perfect for me to excel in it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I think that that they get that experience, you know, versus the homeschool kids get an amazing, uh, rich education. And then if I homeschool my kids, they'd be learning, they'd know how to run their own business by the time they were 12, which my daughter does, you know, she's 12 and that's still happening, but it takes a lot of extra effort on my part because it's not part of our family system, you know? Yeah. I could, I could swing a really strong argument either way. An incredibly strong argument. And Mm -hmm. so that's kind of the challenge, right? And that's where my wife and I like, okay, he's, 
our young, our oldest is off. He he chose not to do the college thing. He's like, I am. I don't know. I don't have a thing I'm going to do right now. Right. He's off exploring. He's in Montana. He's learning crazy cool um, things. Learning great experience. Awesome. Having great experiences. Lightning struck ten feet from him last or the week before last. Wow. Out in the out, he's on the mountains, and mm-hmm. um, his his buddy was working with him. He's like, and he saw it. And he's like, yeah, dude, that's like death. <laughs> but he's getting these incredible experiences. But so, like, I'm not really into the traditional education right. um, path for everybody by any means. I have a master's degree. My wife has a doctorate degree, mm-hmm. and we both do things that sure we're built on that foundation. However, there's so much more, and I want my kids to both of my boys. Are, have a very strong desire to own their own businesses because they've watched from the outside what's possible and how that looks. Yeah. But yeah, it's always interesting to talk to people about the pros and cons of both because like my my youngest has his first girlfriend and mm-hmm. like it's it's a really interesting experience to watch, but the thing I've always always argued about is if they're in a secular worldly place mm-hmm. learning and experiencing they're they're seeing through the lens and getting experience in that in the real world, if you will, yeah. and then coming home where we can lay a foundation and yeah. we can have conversations around that and get in front of those things, right? Whereas when I went off to college, I had my roommate had never been in the secular world. He went to a Christian school and he went went off the wall because he had yeah. no way of ha- he didn't know how to handle that yeah. stuff, and so. I can argue both sides, but yeah, we do. But yeah, what a great system! They have a great system for chores and keeping the household going. (laughs) Yeah, and they come home and they, you know, I I hear all the the things, you know, and so it's not even that we we have to reset their moral compass. We just we are the reminder and the example of their moral compass. And I do my best. I do my best to give them room to fail, to grow, to learn, and to where I'm not indoctrinating them either. They're, they're seeing my life and they're seeing others' lives and they, they're making the choice, you know, to like, hey, we align with you, dad. You know what I'm saying? And I, I try not to preach at them too much, but I also want them to understand what's really happening behind a lot of the curtains that get put down in front of them because they're in public education, you know? So I have to un- unwind that a little bit for them. Yeah, we have we have dinner at the table like every night that we yeah. absolutely can. And the conversations that happen like, Oh, we watched this on the school CNN channel or whatever. Mm-hmm. And understanding, letting them drive those conversations and understanding the fact that and feeling good that we built critical thinking skills. So we've been, have this time where we can talk through things where we're sharing, well, this is how I see it. And this is, you know, and I think it's something wildly missing in our youth right now is that critical learning or that those critical thinking skills and being able to make arguments and, and look at both sides of the picture and, and, and tear it apart and figure out, you know, like, what do I believe? Mm -hmm. And so I don't need to be there for them to stand up for themselves. Yeah. 100%. It's pretty exciting. Absolutely. So. Getting back to your marriage, <laughs> married 10 years. So I'm, I'm just going to cut to it. You basically have been married to the same woman twice. Yes. yes. Okay. So that's the story I want to, I want to so crack open. I'll start in, in, you know, I've told a story a few times. And so if I skip over something and you don't understand it, you can just reach out oh, to me personally. I would love to talk about it. So, you know, I had one of those kind of like a medium American childhood, I would say. I wasn't poor. You know what I mean? I wasn't rich, right? For the most part, I had everything that I needed, 
right? I spent most of my early childhood with my mom. And so just to kind of set the stage here, um, she was married four different times in about eight years. And so, uh, you know, I didn't have that constant father figure in my life. When I did, it was for a total of four years. And uh, he was military and he was very good with a belt. So that's where I got my discipline foundation from, thankfully. And uh, unfortunately, as I got older, though, my older sister got into a lot of trouble. My mom wasn't uh, home a lot, and my stepdad was in the middle of getting a divorce from her. And so I was kind of in the middle of all that turmoil. And I didn't have the most stable childhood growing up. And so my aunt, I would stay with my aunt a lot. She was kind of like my guardian angel, if you will. I would stay with her for summers. I spent one school year or two school years with her, one when I was a toddler and then one in elementary And I was 11 years old and she came to me and she's like, hey, you've got a lot going on here right now. I would like you to come with me and live with me. I think you'll do better over here. You know, it's just me. She didn't have any kids. Her, uh, she was a a widow and um, she was very stable, very responsible military. And so um, I went, I I left with her on my own choice. And then my mom found out she wasn't in town at the time. And, uh, she didn't come and get me. She, she just decided, you know, that's probably better. Let me just let that go. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And so you can imagine, you know, what that did to me later in life. Once I realized that's not normal, Yeah. you know? Yeah. And so I always had this kind of chip on my shoulder, right. That I wasn't good enough, you know, that nobody wanted me. Right. And that, that is a, a, a childhood trauma, if you will, that you carry into your adulthood and you opt create an operating system based on that. Right. And so needless to say, even, even though I had my aunt to teach me how to be a functioning human being, I didn't really have anybody to help me work through that. And so by the time that I graduated high school, I just want to go out and be on my own and prove the world wrong and that I could do it by myself. And so I went through about 20 jobs because I was always telling everybody how to do their job. That was my boss. (laughs) And I got fired a lot. You know, because I was just this angry, young, ambitious dude, you know, and there was a few business owners along the way that knew how to kind of channel it and benefit from it, which was great because I learned a lot. I learned marketing. I I did uh, marketing for a real estate company. I shot video for a wedding company. I sold products for a marketing company. You know, I sold credit repair. And then I landed at this uh, business owner's office that he needed a marketing manager. And so I started doing that for him. And then he realized, oh, you can pretty much do anything. I can throw anything I want at you. So I became the jack of all trades for the business. I was the shipping manager. I was marketing. I was the sales liaison between him and the boiler room. They sold collectible gold over the phone, hundreds of thousands of dollars going through those phones every day. And uh, so I learned a lot from him. And one of the things he did for me is he sat me down and talked about God with me. You know, unfortunately, it didn't stick too well because he he gave me this opportunity to run this door-to-door sales company, right? And I, so I started managing it. I got it back to black. He was losing money on it. He lost 200 grand into it. And uh, so I asked him, I was like, hey, I see this opportunity. It looks like an amazing business. I know I can scale it. You know, I just need some money to scale it. And he's like, I don't want to put any more money into it. I just want my money back. And I'm like, all right, well, owner finance it to me, right? You take 90% or you take 10%, I'll take 90%. You owner finance it to me. When I get you paid back, then I'll get the rest of my 10%. And so he did the deal. 
And I ended up growing it from zero to five million in three years. Yeah. At from 23 to 26 years old. Right. Yeah. And again, I had this chip on my shoulder. I had this ability to, to work until I couldn't feel my face anymore. <laughs> I have this picture. I was like to show off of me holding my daughter at, it was like one in the morning. I had just driven back from Houston, managing the team up there. And that was the 30 minutes I got to spend with her because I was working 12 to 14 hour days, you know, but I didn't even feel it or notice it, you know? And uh, by this time I'm married, I have my daughter, you know, I take this big <laughs> risk from 30 K years of marketing manager to owning my own business with a three month old daughter. So we scale the business. We blow up. It's all the things, you know, I'm doing the steak nights. I'm doing, you know, we bought a house. We're doing uh, box seats for the Cowboys. The clients were providing those. Thankfully, AT&T was providing those. And we're doing the family trips. You know, it's the American dream, right? I reached this upper echelon of what I thought was success, you know? And, you know, I'm making 350, 500 grand a year, roughly, on uh, 5 million gross. And so not only... Am I making a lot of money? I'm making a lot of money for other people too. I'm providing them with opportunity and them to overcome where they come from. You know, I I would always tell that story. And so I kind of reached a point where it's like, you know, I I was never content. I couldn't sit still. You know, I would be playing with my daughter and get a notification on my phone. And then all of a sudden I'd be working for three hours straight. You know, it happened all the time. And I didn't have an ability to be present. And when you don't have an ability to be present, it's very hard to be content where you are. And so what I found is whenever I was traveling, you know, idle hands were an issue, you know, if you know your scripture. (laughs) And so there was one, you know, I think I was, yeah, I was 26. And one of my managers was like, hey, let's go get something to eat. Let's go celebrate. We just hit a record in this market. Let's go celebrate. And I'm like, all right, yeah, let's go get some dinner. And uh, he pulls up to a strip club. And up until this point, I had never been into a strip club before, which is surprising. You know, you make all this money, millions of dollars a year, and you'd think I would have, but I was like following what society told me to do, which is not that, right? And so I'm like, okay, well, it can't hurt, you know? And so I walk in the strip club and I end up sleeping with a stripper that night. And it just opened up this subsequent addiction. You know what I'm saying? Where every time I was traveling and I was out of town, you know, I was unfaithful and I was having a good old time doing all these things I shouldn't have been doing. And then when I came home, I turned it off and I was a family man. See, the way that I used to be able to compartmentalize when I was younger, you know, not not have to deal with my mom not picking me up and my mom essentially not wanting me. I was able to kind of put that away in a box, right? I was able to do the same thing with these women that I was visiting out of town that I was able to come home, put that in a box, put that away on the shelf and be the family man. You know what I'm saying? And be, you know, the I perfect husband, the perfect father, the business owner, you know? So I was living these, these two lives for a long time. And my wife and I had gotten baptized together before we got married. So I knew who God was. I was saved, you know, yet I was still doing all these things. And again, compartmentalization, I was actually able to go to church through all this. And uh, I was able to actually help my uncle, uncle uncle-in-law start a church. And so one day he asked me to go up and to the pew and give my testimony. And so like, I was going to do this thing. I had this, again, ability to compartmentalize and put that away and still talk about my walk with God, which was ridiculous at that point. 
you know? And so I'm sitting up there at the pew. And before I can say a word, I, I, I swear, Scott, God just said, nope, you're not talking on my behalf. And I just, I couldn't get anything out. And so I started crying. I walked down, you know, and everybody just thought I got overly emotional and it was this whole thing. Right. But I knew what had really happened. Right. And so I had been convicted by, by God at that point, And I was just like, I can't do this anymore. All right. I don't have the energy. I'm exhausted. I'm still trying to run this, you know, three and a half to $5 million company. And so I quit cold Turkey, deleted all the emails, the contacts, everything, and um, didn't travel for a long time. I stopped traveling. And, and it, it, it happened to be that at that time, you know, me and my wife got into a big argument to where she was like, hey, if you don't stop traveling so much and you don't spend more time with your family, like we're, we're not going to make it. You got to be here. You know, this had nothing to do. She didn't know about the infidelity at this point, And I never told her. So, I mean, I eventually told her, obviously. <laughs> and so what happened was I started sewing into my family. I started focusing on God. I started being able to be present with my family for the next two years. And we made huge strides, like in our relationship. But there was always that thing in the back of my head, right? So rugby was a big part of that. You know, rugby was kind of my outlet. I didn't, you know, if I felt frustrated for the week, I didn't need to go out of town and, and get laid. I needed to go hit somebody, you know, so I had rugby for that. So I went to uh, one of my friend's rugby games just to watch and I left my phone at home and I had gotten a text or something like that. So she was checking it for me, making sure it wasn't anything urgent. And there was an exchange between me and my sister at the time. And I had given her an old email for her to be able to unlock her iPhone or something like that. And so she checked the email. She used this, all the same passwords I used for everything because I wasn't hiding anything at that point. Right. But then she went into the deleted stuff and she realized, Oh, there's something in here. It wasn't implicating. It was suspicious. Right. So I got home. She asked me about it and I could have easily lied. Like I always did. I could have easily went into marriage saving mode and came out of it clean probably. But for whatever reason I didn't. And I told her everything. Hmm. And you can imagine, you know, how the man in front of her, who she thought she knew so well for the last nine years, just completely became a different person when I explained to her what I had did the two years prior. And so, you know, all the cliche things, business owner successful, cheated on his wife, separated and divorced. So I'm driving from Corpus Christi to San Antonio. I had just sold our house in Corpus Christi. I had moved her to San Antonio because she wanted to be closer to her parents. They live here in San Antonio where we live now. And I'm just thinking about the last nine years of my life, my kids, my family, you know, everything that I've just single-handedly destroyed on my own. Had no reason to. Self-sabotage to the nth degree. And why? (laughs) Why did I self-sabotage like this, you know? And what I noticed about my career in general is that I had done this several times over. You know, we'd reach a point of success, I'd get bored, I would change something, you know, or ignore something and create adversity so I could overcome it again. Because I was the story of overcoming adversity, you know, so I just kept playing that hero again and again, and I became addicted to it, you know. And if I had the perfect wife, I had the kids, I had the family, the house, the money, 
well, then what is there to overcome? You know, so I created it in infidelity. And so I'm, I'm driving from Corpus Christi, San Antonio, and I'm having this conversation with myself. What am I going to tell people? What am I going to tell my friends? What am I going to tell my peers, other business owners that I know? What am I going to tell people on social media? Because that was the thing now. And I'm like, what if I just told the truth? What if from this moment forward, I become a man of integrity? And that's what I'm known for versus, you know, the guy that's hiding all these things. You know, when when people have the backroom conversations, when they whisper to each other, they say, oh, yeah, Doug cheated on his wife. That's why they're divorced. Well, no one's going to have to whisper that if I just announce it. And I take that away from them, take that power to talk behind me, behind my back, away from them. So I decided to do that moving forward. I said, I've got nothing to lose. You know, I've got to overcome this divorce. You know, at that point, I didn't have any hope that we'd come back from it. You know, we had tried to reconcile a few times. And so I was like, I, at least my kids will know from this moment forward that I was a man of integrity, right? I've got to be able to salvage this. And so, you know, a crazy thing happens when you get divorced. You become the best father you've ever been because you don't have a choice. Now you can't push it on to the wife. You can't depend on the wife to kiss the boo-boos and to um, clean up all the the messes or whatever the case is, right? You can't push that stuff on her anymore. You are it 50% of the time. So we did 50-50 custody. I made sure because, you know, I, I didn't say this, but I met, you know, I've hung out with my dad, my biological father, maybe twice. He didn't want me. He was a truck driver. He was doing his own thing. And he died when he, when I was 19 from alcohol poisoning, uh, cancer, stomach cancer. And so he was an alcoholic. So um, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to become him. But what I ended up becoming instead was my mother which is crazy when I realized that, you know, and I said, okay, I've got to become a man of integrity. or I'm going to repeat that cycle. I'm going to have four wives by the time I'm 40, you know? And so I did, I really focused on my kids. You know, I, I couldn't focus on the business at the time. Luckily I had very strong people in leadership roles to be able to do that. I had delegated really well and I prepared them for it. I was like, Hey, I'm about to go through the, the shit. <laughs> I'm about to get a divorce. Yeah. You know, um, have to figure out this new way of living. And so a, f- a few things I did to get through this process was I got rid of the, the money issue right away. I maxed out the, the state recommendation for child support and I didn't go through the state. I said that it'll be there every Friday. If it's not, then you can take, take me to the state. But if it's there every Friday, then I'm going to pay you directly. I'm not having the state tell me to take care of my family, you know? And then um, anytime that, you know, once we had our established schedule with the kids, any time that she wanted me to take them beyond that, I took them. Didn't matter what I had going on. Nothing was more important than my kids. If I was going to get 51%, 52 53 I was going to take it every single time, you know. And, um, and then I did. I, I did my best to create situations that made her life easier. And if that's all I did, then we wouldn't create this toxicity that's created so so many times when people get divorced you know and, and that's what i told her i, I said there's never going to be an issue with the money there's never going to be an issue with me taking the kids extra or you know us working things out on holidays and stuff like that as long as we don't use the kids against each other you know and so i really established that early on and we did we had one of the best co-parenting relationships that i've seen 
The only time it got messy is when we try to reconcile. <laughs> and so over the next three years, we try to reconcile six times through other relationships and stuff like that. So we had, it was complicated, right? And each time we try to reconcile, we would go on a few dates. We'd spend some time together. It'd go really well. And then she would be triggered because I would get too close. She would start having feelings again. And she's like, no, you hurt me. Why would I do this again and push me away? So the last, the last time we reconciled, the reason that it worked is because she finally started going back to church. She finally opened herself up back to God and got that communication going again. And then she got conviction from God to restore her marriage. And by this time, I was just like, no, like you tricked me six times. I'm not doing this again. You know, I had a, I had a girlfriend that lived with me at the time. You know, I wasn't making the best decisions. Right. But when it came to the kids, you know, we made sure that they were comfortable. We made sure everything was good. Right. And so she decides then that like, Hey, we're going to get back together. <laughs> and I'm like, no, we're not. So she spends the next six months in prayer, you know, obviously focusing on her teaching and focusing on her family and not dating, you know, and, and I don't think she was so much trying to prove it to me. She was trying to get prepared for her future husband is the way yeah. she said it. She wanted it to be me, but if it wasn't either way, no man that she wanted was going to be okay with her doing the tender thing and, uh, you know, the apps and all that. Right. So she, she decided to become a, I don't know how to say it, a woman of quality. I don't know how to say it. She, she stopped that dating life, you know, and we both did it, you know, but anyways, uh, over time I realized that the relationship that I had was not what I wanted. Right. I wanted more out of my relationship. And so I broke up with my ex-girlfriend at the time. And it was another couple of months later that she invited me to her cousin's wedding. And by this time, you know, I had started to refocus. I had just joined Apex, you know, and I started to refocus. I started going to bed at 930, getting up at 430, doing all the things that entrepreneurs do when they reach their limit and they need to get past it. Right started developing myself and really focusing on what I wanted out of life. And so I show up to this wedding and she is just drop dead gorgeous. This dress she had on Scott, it, I was done. <laughs> it was over. <laughs> and because she had finally forgiven me, we were able to start our relationship back up. And then a couple of months later, move back in together, you know, obviously tell the kids beforehand, make sure that they were comfortable with it and everything. And, you know, a year later, I proposed to her in Cabo at one of Ryan Stuman's events there in Cabo. And it was just a, a beautiful proposal that I wish I could have done when I was broke. And I proposed to her the first time. And then uh, six months after that, we had the, the wedding, which we completely paid for <laughs> and uh, had our dream. You know, we just did a small ceremony for the, the actual like wedding. But the party afterwards was our dream, basically reception, if you will. And we were able to come come back together after all that. And, you know, probably the hardest part in the whole thing wasn't everything that happened before we came back together. It was that year before I re-proposed to her. Because I had regained a lot of the habits that had, that had led me to cheat before. You know, and I didn't have a strong relationship with God at that time. You know, and so... I had to relearn how to be in a relationship and not look at every woman like a piece of meat, you know, 
I had to relearn how to go to bed at 9.30 because I was tired, you know what I mean? But it was nice being around other men. And this is why, you know, I love the message that you put out there and the events that you do, because I think it does, it, it, it takes a village, but not just to raise a, a child, but to maintain a father and a man, you know? Oh, yeah. I did. I had all these amazing examples around me of men that wanted more out of life, out of their marriages, out of their relationships, and out of their businesses. And I and I followed those examples. And that's, I feel like that was a huge piece of me maintaining the path that I was on, which was restoring my marriage. There's a set of several points I kind of want to revisit, but mm-hmm. um, it's an incredible story. And my wife and I work with married couples. I mean, we just do, we do, we do the 16 week I guess you'd call it a course that mm-hmm. we guide married couples through. And a lot of them come in thinking there's no way to resurrect their marriage. And your story is uncommon, but not uncommon. And the crazy thing is, is that most men, a lot of men who will never admit it, have gone down that road and gotten either close to where you got or went into that that area of like, no, you don't do that. And yeah. it's so parallel with the beginning of my journey when we started having kids and I was started to started to um, put everything into work and yeah. compartmentalize like that. Yeah. It's a for I found I found a place where I was able to be like I think God basically just punched me in the face mm-hmm. and said, like, wake up, brother. Like, this is not okay. Like yeah. you, you are not focusing on your family. You're working all the time. And it's that, it is that thing, like where you take a picture, you're with your kids at the park, but you mm-hmm. spent 15 minutes there and 17 hours working. Yeah. Right. And, and there's, it's so easy to put this front up. And when that's really why the brotherhood lives is because I don't want other guys to go down that road that I started to go down and you mm-hmm. continued down um, anyway, just it, it's incredibly that moment when you said you were going to be, or you decided to become a man of integrity. Let's talk about that. What was the influence for that? What was the thing? Was this a God thing or what was the thing that said, Hey, look, I'm just going to live up to everything and be a man of integrity because it is so incredibly important for success in every aspect of your life to have really amazing integrity. And I think a lot of people are missing that. No, I couldn't agree more. I feel like in that moment and in so many moments during that period, it's like God's pulling you enough out of the shit to like get you back on the right path, but he's not going to do it all for you. You know what I mean? So I feel like that was him convicting me. It's like, Hey, if you really want to do this the right way, you'll tell the truth no matter what, no matter how ugly it is, no matter how much it hurts or how bad you look. I think that's a huge thing that us as men have to overcome now is because of social media and because how exposed we are at all times and have to be sometimes for our businesses, you know, depending on the type of business that we run, we were afraid to, to seem a little weak or a little make mistakes. You know what I mean? We're afraid to show that part, you know, which is what you find out on social media is the exact opposite. Once you do, then you get all the respect in the world. You get all the, the, the praise in the world because you're doing what one out of a thousand will do, which is tell the truth, you know? So going back to that moment, like it was, for me, it was an, it was an Eminem moment, you know, at the end of Eminem, 
when he's when he is rapping and he says all the things that the opposing rapper is going to say back about him. Mm-hmm. That was my moment. It's like I'm just gonna be honest and tell him the truth. You know what I'm saying? And you know, it wasn't the point where I was putting it on social media like I would now to like teach a lesson or something like that. It was it was just like whoever I had a conversation with, I was gonna tell them the truth. And I think after that moment, I called my aunt and told her the whole thing. Before that, it was just like, hey, we're having problems. Hey, we're separating. We're working through it. But I was being very vague because I didn't want to own up to it. So I called her and I own up to it. How do you think, so when, when, I, own, when I run these events, the, my very first and foremost and biggest goal is to get guys to break open. It's to get guys to, like, around the fireplace say, oh, here's the shit I'm dealing with now. Yeah. It's stuff they would not share with anybody. And I think that's the magic sauce. Like for some reason, I'm able to do that. I think it's for, you know, obviously God has his hand in that. It's, mm-hmm. it's incredible how fast it happens. But what I notice is these guys come into these events and they are confident. They, they appear confident. Mm-hmm. They appear like very happy. They're excited. Some of them are scared. They don't know, you know, they don't have any friends. They're coming in completely just on faith, like, okay, I, I, I see something here. I don't know what it is, but I'm coming yeah. and I didn't want to, I don't want to be here right now. I get, <laughs> I see that too. So I see these two sides. I see these guys covering it all up. They're yeah. wearing their social armor. They're like, Ooh, I like that social business. armor. I like that. Yeah. I learned that. I'll, I'll share that later. But, and we crack that thing open and typically now I have men who've repeated. So they'll come in and tell their story mm-hmm. and it's like, everybody's like, whoa, but it's just like that fast that they're ready to do the same thing because they're, and then I see, I literally see a whole new countenance among the whole group, Mm -hmm. a whole new, like, okay, I'm among other men who are screwed up like me and we're all going through our own stuff and they're guys just have to understand that it isn't what they think it isn't what everybody is saying it is. Like when I go into a room in a mastermind, I'm sitting there watching all these guys crushing it in their business. Yeah. I've started to, to take on a new approach of, Hey, like maybe he is crushing in his business. I'm crushing it in my, in my marriage. Mm-hmm. How can I help him? And we come together, we have these new ways that we can pour into each other. One way you can pour into other men is tell a story like you are telling having enough integrity to say, here's where I screwed up. I want to put it right in your face so that you can't put it against me, but also so you can learn. And I want to, I want to put this right up in your face so that you understand that there's life on the other side of your screw ups. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that that's, that's like the magic. (laughs) It's like the magic sauce to good marriages. It's a magic. It's the magic to good relationships. It's breakthrough for ourselves. If you want to break through in your business, get rid of and 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 put all those things forward that you need to put forward and work on them. So, man, it's it's an incredible story. I think the key word is vulnerability. That's it. And and as soon as somebody tells a story like that in a group of men, then you've just given the rest of them permission because you, I mean, your mine is pretty extreme, right? It's weird. People put put that below like being addicted to drugs. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. cheating on your wife. And then that's the lowest um, thing a man can do. And then be addicted to drugs right above that, you know? And so that typically gives the guys the addiction 
you know, permission to have that conversation, you know, or yeah. porn addiction, whatever the case is. And all of a sudden they're having those conversations. So, you know, I typically yeah, go they, first if somebody says, Hey, you want to share something? I typically go first and I, and I, and I love to do that. I love to open up the room that way because it, it does, it gives everybody else permission to be like, Oh, well, I thought about you to my wife one time and you know, what do you do for that? You know? Yeah. And so then you can actually have constructive conversations, but I, I think uh, people get indoctrinated by social media. They see it all the time. And, and I'm, I'm a prime example of it. And, you know, I know what everybody's thinking that's listening to this that is indoctrinated by social media. They're thinking, oh, you can never come back from that. The trust is broken. I see it all the time in the comments and not my comments, but just other comments around the context, right? And what is crazy is you're absolutely right if you don't have God in your life. 100%. That cannot, you cannot come back from that. But I do believe that God healed my marriage. Yeah. Or else she would not have been able to forgive me. And what is crazy now, Scott, is we have a completely different relationship now than we did before. It is way more vulnerable. There's so much trust passed back and forth. And it's because I didn't just stop there. I said, hey, you know, when we were getting back together and we were working through things, I was like, hey, I want to be able to come and tell you when I have temptation. I want to be able to come and tell you when I'm struggling. I want to be able to call you and say, hey, I really want to leave the hotel room tonight. You know what I'm saying? I really want to go hang out with these guys that invited me out. If I do that again, putting it out there, de-weaponizes it. It does, but it also fuels your wife. I, I try to get this point across to men. Mm-hmm. We we function on different wavelengths, right? Like we have our love languages, but we also, men and women function on different wavelengths. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of what men are missing in their marriage, and I think that you're tapping into right now is emotional intimacy. We're not good at like emotional intimacy. So when we learn to say, and I'll do this with my wife, like I'm really struggling with X, Y, Z in our relationship right now. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want you to feel like this is against you. This is something I'm struggling with. And so by sharing those things, you're actually bringing her closer to you. And the beauty of that is, is that you start this reciprocation of needs. Like, because, you know, emotional intimacy fuels sexual intimacy. Yes, 100%. And then sexual intimacy for a man fuels him. He, he's learning this cycle of like, wow, if I'm vulnerable and honest and, and real with mm-hmm. my wife, there's... Everything works. Yeah, we we have our 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 physical needs met, mm-hmm. and this is what I I, I, t- I tell this story so many times, and I watch guys get really nervous when I talk about this. Yeah, the cycle is this: you have to fill that emotional intimacy for your wife, mm-hmm. and you have to fill that bucket, and your bucket is probably in a negative right now. Yeah. Like you're probably way off. And then what you do, I'm, I'm going to walk through this if this is okay with yeah, you. What I you do it. is you start to fill it. You start to learn how to fill the emotional bucket. And then like your wife is hot for you fast. Yeah. It's like, boom, she's like ready to go. And then all of a sudden you start continuing because you got rewarded and that drops off. Because I think what a lot of women are like, this is a, afterwards they're like, mm, this is a fluke. Yeah. I don't want to be hurt. I'm going to hold out. Yeah. And I've seen this over and over and over again. And this Mm -hmm. takes, there's different timelines for how this works. Right. And the men who just stay at it and learn to be a new level of intimate with their wife. Mm -hmm. If you're, if you're a believer, pray with her. 
if you are um, both enduring challenges, which you are if you're breathing, right. listen to her. Don't try to fix. Just listen to her. Mm-hmm. These are the things that are filling her emotional um, intimacy bucket. Yeah. And over time, as that emotional, this cycle becomes more rapid. Mm-hmm. And it becomes more rapid. And then all of a sudden, you probably are at this point, Doug, where you're getting a lot of needs met, both physically and with that emotional section. Yeah. And I think as we as men tap more into that emotional need that the women have, they'll also tap more into the sexual need mm-hmm. that we have. And it's just this beautiful synergy and it just gains speed. And I'm, I've been married 27 years. So, yeah. you know, I'm, wind, I'm, I'm wound up and moving forward. And <laughs> I, love to I hear just it. want people to understand that this is, it's a long game. Yeah but it just makes your marriage better and better and better and better. And there's going to be challenges, mm-hmm. but this is going to really hedge your bets on the good side. And, and, and yeah, that's, that's beautifully explained there. That's, that's exactly what happened as I started sharing more, you know, all of a sudden yeah. it, it opened her up and the emotional intimacy went through the roof. The sex went through the roof which, you know, it turns out was what I wanted in the, in the first part of the marriage, but I was circumventing, obviously, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because how could I be emotionally intimate with her when I can't even get over my fucking childhood trauma, right? So right. <laughs> how was I supposed you gotta to deal with that? your own things? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I had to deal with my own right. shit first. But, you know, and one thing I want to point out, too, is, is, again, maybe men aren't being honest because they don't want to operate from a place of uh, weakness, Right. And so you would have thought when we got back together that, you know, just in general, my wife had the upper hand the whole time. I did whatever she wanted so I can keep the marriage together because I had screwed up and now I had to pay for it. Right. No, there was several. The the reason we try to reconcile so many times is because she would start doing that and start acting that way. And I would say, no, I'm not going to live like that. I am a leader. I'm going to lead our family. I'm going to lead our relationship. And yes, I understand I did this thing to you. And you've got, but you've got to forgive me for that. I can't make you forgive me. There's no amount of flowers. There's no amount of dinners. There's no amount of words. The only thing that's going to make you forgive me is action. You seeing me lead my family, which I was when it came to my kids. You seeing me, you know, provide and protect. You seeing me stand up for you, even though we're not together. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You seeing me get my body right. You seeing me get my faith right. Like, as soon as I become a man that you can follow, then you're going to follow, you know? And so this whole idea, if you have screwed up in your marriage, you know what I mean? And you have gone through that and you guys are still working on it, but there's still that sensitive point that y'all haven't gotten past. You've, you've got to work on it, work through it yourself first. You've, she's got to see you doing that work. She's got to see you turn off the TV when some bullshit pops up and some half naked women pop up. She's got to see that you're not watching porn anymore and that you're not pulling on that thread that led you back to that place in the first place. She's got to see that you're not hanging around your friends that want to get laid all the time. She's got, and that is leadership. That's right. That's not control. That's leadership, but you got to make the decision in order for it to be leadership. If she's telling you not to, that's just control. And men men can't operate that. We're not built like that. We're built to lead. I want to add so much to it, but I think you know, you laid it out so incredibly well. And there's this thing like I, one of the questions I ask for anybody who wants to be in the Brotherhood of Fatherhood group is, do you consider yourself a leader of your family? 
and that's just for personal information, just mm-hmm. like for my own personal study, it's incredibly interesting. A lot of guys will say, I want to, but I'm not. Because, and and I, I believe, you just nailed it. I believe that the, the number one ticket to that is ultimate responsibility. Mm-hmm. And what I say is draw a circle around yourself. If you want to lead your family, if you want your wife to fall in love with you again, if you want your kids to turn out to be amazing, draw a circle around yourself and work on everything inside of that circle. And that's the only thing you can control and everything else will follow because people want to follow. They want to be led by mm-hmm. people who are imp- working on themselves nonstop and becoming a better and better person. And I think that's our role as fathers. I think that's our role as husbands. I think that's our role as business owners. Couldn't agree more. It might be a little oversimplified, but it's pretty, it's, it's a lot of people don't do it. <laughs> it's real. I mean, yeah. some people are overcoming being unfaithful in the relationship. Some people are overcoming, you know, the physical stuff. Like, you know, this whole idea of entitlement that our spouse needs to be what we want them to be and we need to be what they want us to be is ridiculous. Yeah. We need to be who we need to be for ourselves. We need to be healthy by ourselves so that we can be healthy for them. You know, it's not going to happen unless we do the work ourselves. It's not a if and or situation. You know, I think it's a really, it's really simple. If my wife were to say, Hey babe, do you want me looking as good as I can be spending an hour working out a day? Or would you rather me extra clean the house for that hour? I'm going to be like, go to the gym, look good. Do your thing. And that is the point that we have to understand is that it's the same for us. We've Mm -hmm. got to do the things. You have to fuel yourself before you can fuel others. And and a lot of people, that's selfish. You're supposed to give everything. I'm like, sacrifice also includes doing what you need to do so you can sacrifice at the highest level. Right? Like, and and I think that goes both ways. I hope most men would say, I want you to go spend an hour at the gym. Not all of them would, but Yeah. Well, in, in, in reverse, and if we're, you know, being traditional here, right, she could ask you the same question or you could ask her the same question. Like, would you rather me go work an hour on my business or work an hour on my health? And she would, she would say health every single freaking time, you know? Yeah. Every single yeah. time. We, as men, as business owners, entrepreneurs, we overvalue what that extra hour of work is going. We overvalue Diminishing what that extra... <laughs> hundred thousand dollars a year we're going to bring in our yeah. family's like i don't care i got my needs met i'm good yeah but it doesn't it doesn't matter my my son who's 15 yesterday finally said I, he goes i hope this isn't rude but how much do you make a year and he's they've never been interested in that it was a really <laughs> interesting conversation but i could have told him fifty thousand dollars and it would not have changed anything about our relationship yeah. at all or the respect level. That has nothing, they don't, they don't draw respect on that at all. So that's something for men to reflect on. Like you can be bringing home really big money, but if you're sacrificing time with your family and intentionality and vulnerability with your wife mm-hmm. and all these things, it's worthless. Yeah. And just to, to drive that home, you know, my, my best year of income was my worst year of marriage and my worst year as a follower of God and, and a human being, not that they're related that way, but I would say this year, you know, and the back year is going to be so much better. The back half is going to be so much better than the front half. Cause I started a new business. I went from building sales teams to consulting business owners on how to build sales teams. Right. And, um, doing business consulting in general. And, uh, so I'm starting a new business 
So I, so far, if you average the six, last six months out, it's probably down there in the bottom five years of income in my mm-hmm. adult life. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But it's easily the best year I've ever had in my marriage, the best year I've ever had with my kids, the best year I've ever had with a father. Like I, it, it's amazing. I don't know if it's going to get better. And if I know God, he's going to make it even better, you know? And so, Oh yeah. You can be having a terrible year and trust me, like by all means, I am having a terrible year. You know what I'm saying if you look at the past by the books. 14, yeah. If you look at right. the books, if you look at, you know, how many people I have working for me, I only have four people working for me. That's the least I've ever had since my first year of business. And if you look at things like that and then gross income too, of course. And, but I'm the happiest I've ever been easily because I've been working on my health, on my marriage, on my relationship with my kids and on myself, you know. And on that, as a, a little bonus here, that's the best time for somebody to work with you because you have things right. You're going to be able to, you won't get, you might not give as much time, but you're going to give so much more because you have, your bucket is filled, right? Mm-hmm. You're doing the right thing. So I'm, I'm super excited I am in a place, and we've talked about this a little bit, mm-hmm. but I'm in this place in my business where I'm build a sales team right. of one outside of me, <laughs> or do I keep it in my hands? Uh-huh. So for someone like me, and there's a lot of people in here who, who listen, who yeah. own businesses, what are the first steps in building a sales team? Are you willing to give that, yeah, that absolutely. information? Yeah, absolutely. And, right. and, and understand something about me. I give away everything for free. You know, if you want me to do it, then you got to pay me. <laughs> that's how that works, <laughs> you know? It, yes. And so that's, I make it very simple. And I think, I think I get a lot deeper with people because of that. And then the conviction of them hiring me is a lot stronger because we've gotten a lot deeper versus them saying, oh crap, I got to pay you just to, just to get advice, you know? And so, right. um, you know, my whole thing is documentation, right? Uh, there's three things that you need before you hire your first salesperson. That's understanding the tools that they need the training that they need, and then the uh, opportunity that you're providing for them. And so I I did a post about this the other day. You've got to document everything you need for them tools-wise. you got to make sure that you have training, real training, documented training, SOPs in place for them to execute the position, like the script, like overcoming objections, like the um, sales process onboarding a new client. And if there's account management involved in the account management piece, you got to lay that out. And then uh, the opportunity, which is compensation, right? Got to have a comp plan in place. And then you throw a little, a little vision behind there. How can they grow in this position? Can they hire their own salesperson someday? Are they going to be able to train other salespeople coming in and get paid for that training? You know, can they move up in the company someday? Is this something that you know, you can open up different locations with or create, you know, junior partnerships with, you know, how far can you go with this thing and then map it out? Just you as the business owner should be doing that anyways, right? But if you can, if you can bring them into that fold early on and show them, hey, this is my vision, you know, now they know that they're working towards something versus just towards a paycheck. Yeah. Wow. That's really that's really good. I, I wrote down because it's so simple. Yet who people aren't going to do that? I mean, that's the thing. No, they're going to they're, they're going to hire the salesperson. Expect them to build it out for them, right? Which is and ridiculous. That's why it goes bad. And, then, yeah. and, it, and it, it always goes bad when it comes to that. It really does. Yeah. They can't close, therefore they can't make money, mm-hmm. and it just 
goes. Well, they're 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 oh. trying to sell and close at the same time. They're trying to develop systems along the way. They've never developed systems before, so they're like, "Hey, I need your help with this." So I don't know how to do, you know, and increase this back and forth. Then all of a sudden, the business owner is like, "Well, why did I hire a salesperson? I'm having to do the whole job." Well, you didn't give them anything to run on. <laughs> yeah, that's why. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. That's awesome. So I want to kind of um, wrap up with a few things about marriage because mm-hmm. you've, you've, you've done it wrong, very wrong, yes. and you've, you've turned around and, and fixed. And, and probably if you're like any man who's honest, you're probably working on it every single day. What are some, some of your biggest tips for having a successful, energetic, lively marriage? For me... You know, and I, I can only speak from my experience. It's not over. It's never over. The the fight that I'm fighting, you know, with the enemy. And for me, it's it's women, it's porn. You know what I'm saying? It's sex. So I have to make sure I stay in my lanes. I have to avoid porn at all costs. You know, I have to avoid that, pulling on that thread that's going to unravel my life, right? And so, uh, and I do. I only hang around high-value men, you know, I only, only have high value men working with me. If I'm looking at traveling and stuff like that, I make sure that I spend as little nights away from home as possible. And if that means me losing some sleep and only getting four hours of sleep one night because I got a plane the next morning or coming in super late, I want to sleep in my bed as much as possible. That's good. With, within reason, you know, because I need to go get opportunities too, right? I got to go hunt. And so I'm actually going out to, I'm super excited about it. I'm going out to uh, the lion's den next week, which okay. is, uh, I know that Sean, Sean White, Sean Whalen has a lion's den, but I'm going to Andy Elliott's lion's den, his office there in Phoenix. And so I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm going to be on their podcast and we're going to talk about some, maybe some business opportunities. We'll see. But anyway, so I got to go on that trip, but I'm making sure like, okay, if I go there, then is there another prospect I can work with while I'm there or clients? And then uh, I'm going to do a podcast with Daniel Blue. And so anyways, I'm getting sidetracked here. <laughs> but I, 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 this is it's top exciting. of mind. I love it. Yeah, this is top of mind because I am. I'm already thinking about, okay, I need to make sure that I set up a dinner that night. You know what I'm saying? I need to make sure that the, the hotel has a gym. You know, so basically I've got I've to set up a productive schedule because if I don't, then my mind's going to start wondering, right? Because that's, that's how I'm built. That's just me, right? And yeah. so you have these bumpers that you have to put up. It's like when you first start bowling and you got the gutter bumpers, right? <laughs> you have these bumpers that you have to put up. What are your vices? What are things that are going to derail you in your marriage? And you have to get rid of them, whether it's cold turkey or not, and, and hold the line. You know what I'm saying? More than anything, I would say hold that line that you know you need to hold in order to have a successful marriage. Yeah. Date night once I mean, all the standard stuff I'm sure you've heard a hundred times and you've talked about a hundred times that date night once a week is massive. Can't talk about that enough. If one person hears it and starts doing it, it was worth saying it. You know, I know yeah, it's I cliche. I know everybody's saying it, but if you're not doing the date night once a week, make that happen. And I, and I have had ones where I've had to just, all right, let's open a bottle of wine and let's watch a movie. Kids aren't allowed to come out of their rooms. That's our date night tonight. Whether it's, you know, money, time, whatever the case is, you, you set up the environment that opens up that conversation, opens up that connection, you know. And that's the thing is you don't want to just go to the movie. Make sure you go to dinner first because you got to have the connection, the conversation. That's just you and her. 
and don't talk about the kids. You know what I mean? Talk about work. You Nailed know, it. Yeah. <laughs> don't talk about the kids, but talk about her dreams, her aspirations, support her like you should. You know what I mean? And then obviously you can talk about yours too, and she'll do the same. Pursue her, pursue your wife, you know, like the pursuit run. principle. Treat it like you're still trying to get married. Yeah. Treat it like <laughs> you're still trying time. to get laid. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's what I like to say, but yes. <laughs> like, and that's how I like to think about it. Yeah. It works. Yeah. I mean, cleanliness is next to godliness, you know, and uh, dress up for her, look good for her, work out for her, you know, pursue her like you would if you were divorced and single. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's, that's the other thing. I kept running the plays I ran when I was divorced because it's like, why would I not pursue her, which she is the ultimate prize versus all these other girls that I was pursuing and working out for and working hard for that weren't worth it. Doesn't yeah. make any sense. You know, we're, we're built to pursue. Yeah. I mean, it's just in our DNA. Mm-hmm. And, it, and yeah. it, does, it, it doesn't always have to end in sex. It has to end with her wanting sex later because, you know, you came up behind her and kissed her on the neck. Shoot, that's my play move. the long game. <laughs> play that long. Yeah, game and do it game. at nine in the morning when you know you're not getting late. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's what is another cliche thing is. Mm-hmm. You know, foreplay starts, uh, you know, twenty four hours before yeah. or whatever yeah. it is. It's yeah. like, yeah, yeah. You can't just all of a sudden come on and think all the magic's going to happen. It may work <laughs> once in a while, but I mean, man, sometimes it on, does. Do the work. Yeah, yeah do <laughs> but, the work though. But yeah, yeah, it's because you put in the work. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And in that's awesome. Well, and and what I love about everything that I'm talking about is, and, and I do have this belief, and you know, maybe someday I'll write about it and and like put it into something consumable. But I have this belief that, I mean, to a T, right? Like I'm in the middle of watching Entourage again right now, and as I watch each episode, I realize, fuck, I don't need to be watching this. You know, what I'm saying like this is all this is doing is triggering all the things that I wanted to live in my 20s. You know, right. And so little things like that, when, when all of a sudden your, your wife becomes your only sexual and physical, visual satisfaction, when you starve yourself everywhere else and she becomes the only thing that can quench you, I mean, I'm just speechless because it, it does. You hit another level of attraction. But you do. You have to starve yourself everywhere else. Think about it. Like if you don't eat all day and then you bite into a – a Wagyu ribeye steak that night. You know what I'm saying? But if you do, if you eat steak all day and you eat lower end steak, you eat, you know, choice. You're too and, full to enjoy the Wagyu. And select. You don't even really enjoy the Wagyu by the time you get to it. You're full, but it's still a premium steak. You know what I'm saying? And <laughs> it's probably not the best analogy, but I like it, the guys analogy. understand I mean, it. the women might not like it, but I like it. <laughs> guys understand it. If, if you use porn that morning and you have sex with your wife that night, it's not going to be as good. It's just mm-hmm. not. Versus if you're not looking at that stuff at all and, and you're intimate with her, it's so much better. That's, that's how we're built. I mean, we have a tank and if you use it, if you use those dopamine hits on things that don't matter, when the things that matter come along, they're not going to be there for you and then you're not going to be motivated. Right. Yeah. That's good, brother. It's really good. And it's so true. And it's funny because there's not a lot of guys that I've been able to get on the podcast to go down that road. Mm-hmm. They usually like, um, but this is a men's podcast shows, though, it, right? Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> so I'm going to feel bad if some women are listening to this. <laughs> well, you know, the audience is mostly men mm-hmm. and I have women that listen to it. Yeah. And I think why is because it gives them incredible in, insight. insight. 
100%. Yes. And, and they'll reach out to me and tell me they've learned so much. And so I think hearing these things that we're talking about mm. is incredibly important. I have these conversations with my wife. My wife knows everything we're talking about. Absolutely. I, um, you know, she knows that I pursue her like the same as mm. when we were in high school. Like it has not changed. In fact, it's probably more hardcore now. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but it's, it's an incredible journey. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the emotional intimacy that I have with my wife and the friendship and the, the, the absolute 100% vulnerability on both sides. Yeah. And that's where it gets really good. Yeah. And I would say that's I'm still, you know, and it, it's always hard for me and I get excited about this stuff, but I, I, I need everyone listening to understand that like I'm probably one tenth of where I need to be in terms of the emotional intimacy. We still got work to do here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so well, we all do. Yeah. For sure. But I, I, I feel like, you know, when we talk about this stuff, we talk about the wins, you know, like it's not over, you know, I'm still working at this every day. I, and like I said earlier, I'm still in that fight. So, yeah. yeah, we, and that's the thing I want that I was kind of thinking earlier mm-hmm. is that you were talking about, don't pull on the thread. I call it just like doors. There's all these doors Mm -hmm. and every door leads you away from the room you're in with your wife. Yeah. And so like, don't even crack that door. Don't even look at the one, you know, that the woman that's, because then you've, you've opened that door and all of a sudden now you're like, yeah, porn. Yeah. Well, it's, it's it's become so mainstream. You can't, yes, you can't go to the search section in your Instagram without seeing a piece of ass. You have to literally like re, retrain it every 30 days because it'll sneak it right back in there you know it's crazy it's it, annoying you are you you yeah. have the everything is stacked against yeah. you it's like when you go on if, if any of you have done tiktok and i don't do tiktok anymore but you go on and you first get it and every single yeah. thing is just like oh they know how they're gonna grab you. Yeah. yeah yeah and i'm like okay how do I, because I was focusing on TikTok, how do I do this? And someone's like, you just search the things you want to see and then watch them all the way through. And, and like anytime them. something else comes up, you flip as fast as yeah. you can. So it took you me like train two it. weeks and just procuring my my feed and just yeah. like, but you have to, but, the, but they know, they know mm-hmm. that if that is over, put in front of you enough, you're going to go down there. Well, 95% that of men, that's what they use it for. Oh, it's yeah. TikTok. Wow. It's not porn. It's the same shit. Yeah, it's, it's just it's just, just covering one little piece that makes it not porn, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And I, so, like, I, I'm just like, I'm just not doing it. I don't care. Yeah. I'm not putting content on there. I'm not because it's just it's one of those doors I'm not willing to open. And but it's always there. I think that's the thing is you have to you have to always be working and never get complacent because mm-hmm. that those things are always going to be presented to you because yeah. that's the world we live in. And so you have to keep that that your tool set sharp. And for me, it's talking to men on the podcast, mm-hmm. doing events. Cause then I I'm, I'm held at this very high level of integrity and it's also being very open with my wife. And I think that we, the more we can do those things, mm-hmm. the better, more successful we're going to be. Well, and yeah, just this conversation we're having today, like I, I watched entourage last night, you know, and like already in my, it came out during this conversation. I'm like, I need to stop watching that. <laughs> like it's already yeah. triggering all those things that I wanted to do before. And I still want to. There's a lot of stuff that, you know, there's a lot of stuff you have to stop watching when you start thinking that way. It's like, man, I guess I'm not watching TV anymore. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's real though. You know, that, that, that's a whole nother conversation, but it is, you can, you can go home every night and watch TV 
and and slowly destroy your marriage and just destroy your relationship with your kids and everything else. It can all come from TV. That it's could too be a easy. whole nother podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's too easy. I, I, I agree. I agree. But like you said, it's 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 stacked against us. So mm-hmm. the more we have conversations like this, we we almost hold ourselves accountable as we're saying it. And then, um, you know, other guys realize, hey, I'm struggling with that too. And it's just another point of accountability. Maybe they heard it from a friend, they're hearing it from us, and then they're hearing it from their wife. And they're like, okay, all right, I'll get off my ass and do something. Yep, absolutely. So this has been an amazing conversation. I think we could go for another hour, which I could. Uh, we'd go down the TV trail. But you are, as you mentioned earlier, kind of moving into a new direction and there are a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners that listen. So mm-hmm. we'll make sure that they know they can find more information about you. In fact, I just connected you with somebody. Hopefully that turns out good. But find out more information about you in the show notes. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Doug Mitchell, you're on you're on socials. I see you on Facebook because that's where I live. Yeah, that's where I live too. Um, yeah. But everywhere on social, it's TXBizDad. It's uh, TXBizDad.com. And, and I promise if you follow me, whether it's on the business side, on the personal side, I'm going to do my best to give you some value, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. I know that for sure. I know that from personal experience. Thank you so much for uh, doing this. And and before we even got, right when we got started, you said, you know, if there's any gaps or anything, reach out to me. And I know that you mean that. So anybody listening that maybe wants to hear a little more or needs, Mm -hmm. needs some clarification or wants to, you know, get some support or whatever, I know you're an open book. So they can reach out to you. And I appreciate that, brother. Yeah, and and the beautiful thing about that is it's not my business. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I I don't make money from that. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, so you don't have to worry about a sales pitch. (laughs) Like, that's that's just me me wanting to pay it forward because I I got a second chance. So I, in my mind, I'm obligated to. So that's incredible. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your heart and and wisdom. I really appreciate it. All right, brother. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to share it with your friends, your family, and follow us on social media. If you are a father, make sure you join our Facebook group, the Brotherhood of Fatherhood. Hit the subscribe button and tune in next time for more podcasts from the Brotherhood of Fatherhood.